I have a message on behalf of the episode editor uh, today because the episode editor is Stephen Wyeth. That's this guy. And as you know, <laughs> Stephen Wyeth is an incredibly busy and high-profile gentleman and he does not have the hours to lie about beeping out swear words or <laughs> editing out Rory Smith pauses for dramatic effect. So I'd like us all to keep it very clean and to uh, get to the points quickly and to mean that Stephen is able to furnish our great audience with an already delayed pod, not further delayed. That, that would be decent of us, wouldn't it? Just to, to not mess people around any, any more than we need to, including ourselves. Is that, is that what you do? You edit out Rory's dramatic pauses? Does he oh. know? Does he know? It must save us. How much time does that save? Oh, it'd be an hour and a half every time if I kept them in. <laughs> honestly. It's, he won't it, be happy. He won't be happy. do not appreciate the forensic levels to which I increase Rory Smith's already stellar contribution to this podcast. <laughs> if, if we kept his dramatic pauses in, we'd need... A, a more expensive subscription with SoundCloud to store the audio files. Yeah, yeah. It just, I mean, it would be the whole cloud. So can we say crikey? Oh, yes. Crikey O'Reilly. Oh, some, um, someone yesterday, the of the someone yesterday, the game yesterday said, what the dickens? <laughs> and they were surprised and they said, what the dickens? Who says what the dickens? Who says that? Nobody apart from this idiot says what the dickens? We currently use quite a lot of kind of oldie worldy curse words because we want to swear but don't want Ed to swear. So we're 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 big fans of fiddlesticks. Fiddlesticks. Yeah. Poppycock is a good one. Poppycock. Poppycock. That's a bit naughty though, isn't it? Yeah, a little bit. A yes, little bit naughty don't, there. Don't uh, use the first yeah. part of one and the second part of the other. On fiddlesticks. That. I do like that. That's good. But what the dickens nonsense. But do you think fiddlesticks came about because it is a because the letters are similar to the thing that it replaces? That must be, like the F and the S, is a something sake, isn't it? Oh, yeah. I was thinking about it being an F word and an S word just together. Just oh, it to, could be, yeah, two, yeah. Two in one word. But that's not how you use fiddlesticks. You use fiddlesticks as a, as an exclamation, don't you? Because actually, as, as, as an alternative to poppycock, you don't say pretty... you don't say that's fiddlesticks. You go, oh, fiddlesticks. Because because Primrose actually came out with her first proper swear word yesterday. What? When we were driving, yeah, home. yeah. Someone cut me up and she, she called him a dick. <laughs> she said, Grandad, he's a dick, isn't he? And I looked around and said, what? This is Set Beast Many, the podcast where four friends talk football over food. I'm Hugh Ferris. Joining me are Stephen Wyeth, who was not invited to join the European Super League. Rory Smith, who has withdrawn from the European Super League. And Andy Hinchcliffe, who would like to point us in the direction of a statement released via official channels that includes the words of Manchester United chairman Joel Glazer while sending out his three-year-old granddaughter to field any further questions that you may <laughs> well have. Um, the food is what was in Chinch's heated lunchbox on the gantry at Ellen Road uh, on Monday night because the smell apparently wafted as far as the <laughs> by Stephen. Chinch, what were you eating at Ellen Road? This, this, well, we've, done, we've done the fish pie chat before, haven't we? But the, Nikki's, the fish pie she made was so big, I've actually had it at three consecutive matches. I've been a busy boy, but I've managed to take a decent portion of fish pie to gantries around the country. And I do I do purposely now waft them in the face of Rob Hawthorne, uh, Gary Weaver. I did, because Steve was there at the Leeds game, I was wafting it down, you know, towards the, the cheap seats, down there, smell that fish pie. This is what you should be aspiring to. Delicious fish pie. You should have seen the look on Rob Hawthorne's face, pitch side at Ellen Road, about 90 minutes before <laughs> kickoff on Monday night, as Chinch was suddenly 
who, Chichu had been chatting to everybody, seemingly didn't have a care in the world. Some kind of a mental alarm went off where he realised if he didn't scamper up to the gantry immediately to plug in his lunchbox, he would... <laughs> The food wouldn't be hot enough for him to eat before kickoff, and suddenly he was gone. And Rob had been trying to cajole him towards the gantry for about twenty minutes. He's trailing in his wake. It's all true. Uh, it's, you know, with uh, animals, particularly cats, who need to leave parts of themselves at the extremities of their territory to mark that territory. I'm wondering if Chinch is doing that with all ninety-two uh, league grounds. With a bit of fish pie, a bit of a bit of scallop here or there. Dab- dabbling a bit of fish pie behind your ears and then around the grounds in this fair country. Um, the football is Chinch, do you know what we're talking about today? Oh, what's been happening in football that would be worth talking about? It's something to do with Europe or maybe? I don't know. Well, this episode has actually taken many forms over the last few days, oh. at least two in the last 24 hours as well. But after our bonus episode on Monday entitled The ESL Fury, this one is going to be called The ESL SH1T Show. Uh, because Stephen is editing, obviously, and has a very tight deadline. We will not be providing any swears for him to beep at any point. Um, so alternatives will be found for that word. Uh, clown show is the first that I will uh, uh, offer. And bearing in mind, we have replaced the SH1T word with something uh, approaching the surname of a former Dutch player who played alongside Andy Hinchcliffe in Sheffield Wednesday. It could well be the ESL Atterveld show, but we'll... Uh, <laughs> See how we get on. Um, apologies, by the way, for our tiredness today. Our desperation to include Chinch on this episode has led us to not meeting our normal weekly target. And as it happens, it's worked very much in our favour because this was going to be a very different show yesterday and it would have been completely irrelevant by about 6pm. Uh, you can get in touch with the podcast, setpiecemenu at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook and YouTube as well. First, to a quick follow-up from Patrick Halliday, uh, who likes to listen to the pod while wandering in the shadow of a mountain range in Vermont, the pronunciation of which I completely butchered last week. Gentlemen. When I heard my name and subsequent email read on the show last week, while again out for my Wednesday afternoon run, I nearly stepped into oncoming traffic. <laughs> it tells you how quotidian the last year has been that such acknowledgement is on my shortlist of pandemic highlights. And while I was not looking at the Adirondack Mountains while my email was read, I'll f- I thought I'd provide you with a pronunciation guide. Ad, as in Federer's lead in a juice game. Er, as in the sound Annie makes when he's asked the week's topic. Ron, as in big. Dak, as in the player Prescott in that American sport that Hugh somehow enjoys. Adirondack. And on the topic of words unpronounceable by folks from other countries, my brother-in-law, who has lived in Paris for over a decade, he does have a bathroom in his apartment, though small, which mm. I think is a, a lucky man. Florian, his sister, loves that the French cannot pronounce the English word squirrel, <laughs> and English speakers cannot pronounce the French word for squirrel, which is <clears throat> écureuil. I think. Anyway, thanks for making my day and my whole lockdown. Keep up the good work. May I hear my name on the podcast on a future Wednesday afternoon run, Bears or No Bears? That is from Patrick Halliday, who's in Burlington, Vermont. Echo, echo, I, 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 I would suggest that Americans can't pronounce the word squirrel either. How do they I do be, it? I believe they say squirrel. 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 But squirrel is a different word. A squirrel <laughs> Completely is different. what you draw. Yes. So I, would, I would say squirrel. And the name Graham are two words that Americans Graham. do not appear to Graham. be able to pronounce. Graham. 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 The, the cartoon Graham the Squirrel <laughs> is never getting off the ground on that side Graham of the, the, the Atlantic, is it? And um, this subject may even outweigh uh, our main topic today in terms of importance, because Michael Avery writes this. 
Dear North Norfolk Owl Sanctuary, Shattered Dreams Parkway, Linton Travel Tavern, and Long Stanton Spice Museum. Yes. <laughs> That's, That's brilliant. I was shocked to hear in SPM 226 that Hugh was mocked for pretending to be Craig Logan from Bross when he was a child, with some people dismissing Craig's legacy as a pop star. Since leaving Bross, Craig has had an illustrious career in the music industry and is arguably the most successful member of the band. He's managed artists of high stature such as Paul McCartney and Tina Turner. He set up his music management company and wrote a number of hits for other artists too, including one which was nominated for an Ivan Novello Award. Whilst I can understand the urge to ridicule the least memorable member of Camberley's greatest pop band, it did show an ignorance of someone who's had an illustrious career working in the background of the music industry. It also makes me wonder how little time some of you have spent on Wikipedia whilst they were whilst they were watching the incredible Bross documentary after the screaming stops. Hope you're all keeping well and thank you for many hours of quality listening over the years. That's from Michael uh, and I think we've all been proved wrong apart from me he's been proved right. There's a a podcast in that like who are football's Craig Logans? (laughs) Yeah. Yes. That would be a good yeah yeah. we should do that. There's content in everything these days. They might not be the swan but they are certainly the swan's legs underneath the water. (laughs) Correspondence of any kind to setbeesmenu at gmail.com do you think Craig Lowden throughout his career, as he's written these songs, as he's as he's managed these artists, as he's kind of built his legacy within within music, influencing you know pop culture for for a generation? Mm. Do you think he's ever in, in in an evening he ever sort of pours himself a glass of wine and just goes, do you know what? When will I be famous? <laughs> ah, kaboom! Oh. As a result of this podcast, now, uh, now, flowers are blooming, the grass is growing, and it's time to chop the weeds. Thanks to our sponsor, Manscaped, you can trim your holes safely and efficiently. I am talking, yes, about ball trimmers. Manscaped, the global leaders in men's below-the-waist grooming, have an exclusive offer for you, the SPM listeners. Use the code SPM to get 20% off and free shipping. <laughs> What's, what, what would free shipping be? Free, free shipping. shipping. Squirrel. At manscaped.com. Join the other 2 million men who trust Manscaped. They're here to make, you, make sure you are trimmed and smelling nice. After all, it is time for some spring cleaning. Chinch, has spring sprung in your man garden? Not off. Manscaped are the global leaders in men's below-the-waist grooming and have forever changed the grooming game with their amazing products, sampled and enjoy by all four of us and many SPM listeners to boot. But they are here also to help with your above-the-waist holes. Have you heard of their Weed Whacker? This nose and ear hair trimmer provides Mm. proprietary skin-safe technology which helps prevent nicks, snags and tugs in those delicate holes. No more gross nose hairs flying in the wind. Is that something that anybody has experienced? <laughs> ever got no. long enough for the <laughs> no, I mean, I think to take effect. I think if your nose hair is kind of acting as some sort of windsock, you've got a problem. But have you ever... That, I mean, aerodynamically at the very least. Have you ever had your ears and nostrils waxed? No. Extraordinarily painful. Roberta in Portugal is an absolute... She's brilliant at it, but... Goodness me, it makes your eyes water. Sounds like a weed whacker is better. (laughs) Uh, I don't know. It does. The wax wax takes everything, skin included. Well, the premium manscaped weed whacker, which because I'm English, I want to say weed whacker, uses 9,000 RPM motor power, 360 degree rotary dual blade system. Manscaped is making whacking your weeds... A time to look forward to delivering maximum confidence while providing hygiene too. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code SPM at manscaped.com. Do yourself a favour and always use the right tools for the job. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code SPM at manscaped.com. It's spring cleaning, baby, and your balls will thank you. 
so now, as we announced in grand style on social media, which, uh, thinking about it now, we should have simply titled Pod Statement, with a click through to an insipid sentence or two. <laughs> uh, we were planning to wade through a large amount of correspondence that you'd offered up on the European Super League, as it was both thoughtful and thought-provoking. But then... The precipitous collapse. Not even 48 hours after the whole thing was made official by a series of insipid club statements, the Super League, to give it its actual title, was falling apart at the seams. All six Premier League clubs have withdrawn and more may well follow as we're recording, with Inter Milan looking like the shakiest at the time of writing, at the very least. It leaves the plan in tatters. But what about the enduring relationships? How will this affect what must not be considered a particularly satisfactory status quo? What will happen to the negotiating power of those clubs who'd spent years trying to mould European and domestic football to their desires before doing this? And also, have you ever seen something so big handled so badly? Seriously, what on earth were they playing at? Now, we may have some time to offer up some thoughts that will no doubt be a snapshot of time only, as this thing is moving pretty quickly. And also, apologies to Jack Gunther, Shane Thomas, Craig Anderson, Laurie Moorhead, Kenny Maddock, Anne Bowie, Kieran Manning, Matthew Joyce, Guy Fraser, Laura Berman, Alan Shepard, not the astronaut, and Robbie Walls, who's neither Robbie Wells nor their correspondent Robbie Harms, because your correspondence and your contributions that made the original cut have now been left on the cutting room floor. Apologies to all of you. Rory, I started on Monday by saying, is it real this time? You said, yes, it was. But that didn't mean it was particularly well planned or well executed. Uh, no, not <laughs> at all. It's uh, it's staggering. Like it's genuinely staggering. And the thing that so there's, there's lots there's lots of strands to it that I, that that intrigued me. But the thing I keep coming back to is like we obviously shouldn't associate. One of the problems in society in general is that we associate like wealth with virtue. We assume that people who have lots of money that is in some way representative of their inner kind of character, their, their, that they are worth their money in some sense. That we, we look at them and kind of it's the myth that they perpetuate, that people who have lots of money have lots of money because they're smart or because they, they deserve it or because, you know, they've done something to... to they're, they're in some way better than us. But how... It's been so amateurish. That's what I, re what I really can't get my head around, is this, this threat has been there for 20 years. Berlusconi first raised it. In like 1998, he wrote to G14 and said, look, we could, with the G14, the predecessor of the ECA and all that stuff, and said, look, we can, we can break away, we can go on our own, we can, we, we drive the money, we can, this can be ours, there's all this, all this, my child can be yours. And ever since then, like every three or four years, every time they're renegotiating the Champions League, they kind of float it, it kind of hangs there, they kind of, they stand there with their hands in their pockets and you... You know, UEFA meant to think, oh, I wonder what they've got in their pocket. I wonder if they've got a weapon. And the weapon is always, we're going to start a Super League. And then they eventually do it. Like, they've been planning this for months. Well, they've been planning it for years. They've been distrusting it for months. Sky News had a story six months ago that, that, they, were, that they were signing up. Bartomeu came out before he quit Barcelona and said, we have signed up for a Super League. This has been coming. And basically what they've done was launch a website. And I'm not being funny, but literally any four clowns at the moment can launch a podcast. These are, <laughs> these, are, these are 12, 12 sort of galaxy brain people and they've, they've launched the website they didn't there was nothing there there was no broadcaster there was no sponsor there was no there was no kind of back channel communication with UEFA and FIFA to, to make sure of the that there was some sort of institutional willingness to listen to the idea there was no there was obviously no con consultation with the fans which and this will sound terrible but I know why they've done that I can see why they've not consulted with the fans because you consult with the fans the fans will say no, and then you're going against the fans' wishes. And you can't do that. So you, I, can, I, can, I don't approve of them not talking to the fans, but I get why they've not done it. But they didn't have anything in place. And I just cannot believe that they are so... Um, they're either so presumptuous that this is kind of the, the clearest example 
of like the billionaire class presenting to us an idea and just assuming there was nothing anyone could do about it. And that's not just fans, but governments and, you know, existing institutions. So it's either presumption or it's total incompetence that it, they, they genuinely thought people were like this. But this, this, will, this will go over really well. Imagine how exciting it is. So it's kind of, yeah, presumption or naivety. But the fact that, I keep coming back to this as well, the fact that when they launched it, they couldn't even get the owner of each individual club to put a statement on their own websites that everything was Joel Glazer and Perez and possibly Agnelli. Yeah, it was Agnelli, wasn't it? That you know that John Henry wasn't the one quoted on the Liverpool website. That, Sh- that Sheikh Mansour or even Khaldun Al Mubarak wasn't the person quoted on, or Ferran Soriano weren't the people quoted on, on the City website. That that Joan Laporta wasn't quoted on the Barcelona website. What are you doing? Is this genuinely it? Is this, is this all you could get together? And then you buckle within forty eight hours. I actually don't know whether the the collapse, the cowardice of the collapse, is almost worse than the idea itself. I kind of, I, I don't mind a supervillain, but stick with it. Do you know what I mean? Don't, don't you, you didn't see like the Riddler bottling it within within twenty five minutes. Particularly like, at least given, he tried. Particularly <laughs> given that the the strategy in the beginning was to push it through, knowing that if they had done any sort of consultation with fans, they that they wouldn't have been able to do it as as you just mentioned. So the whole strategy was, we know what's best, and if we just force it through everybody will it come will to realize that yeah. afterwards and so if that was the entire strategy about not consulting the fans it doesn't seem a particularly thought through strategy when facing the eventual criticism of the fans but it's it's even the fact that the one person i wrote this today the one person who fronted up eventually was florentino perez and it's it's largely it's not entirely his fault but it's it's his brainchild he's the one who's he's the not to use this word advisedly mastermind behind it and he was the first, to his credit, he was the only one who came out before it collapsed and, and tried to defend it. And, and I think you, you do, even in, even in these circumstances, have to say, at least Perez had the, had the nerve to do that. None of the others did. You know, John Henry's spoken this morning, he's put a video out as an apology. It's a little bit late. Maybe, maybe defend your big idea first. But Perez didn't, they didn't call like a press conference with all the owners together. They didn't put together a package where they each explained it. They didn't go out and confront, talk to the BBC and talk to Sky and yeah. and talk to kind of L'Equipe or, you know, El País or whatever. Perez went on El Chiringuito, which is a kind of, is a very gaudy, quite popular, but very gaudy Spanish talk show. It's on at midnight in Spain. A lot of people are in bed. I mean, not the Spanish, they've only just finished dinner, but, you know, a lot, a lot of people around, around Europe are in bed at midnight. And it's a little bit like declaring war to Alex Jones on the one show. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's just not, that's not. It gave it the air of a fundamentally unserious endeavor. And I just don't kind of, you kind of expected him to declare this in the say football and then cut to Giles Brandreth. And it's, it's these are very He's English. He's been jokes. out visiting right. some of our favorite English gods. It does, it does seem to be one of the most kind of disjointed group venture yeah. that you've ever seen. That there was no kind of joined up thinking or even conversations. But you know, such I mean, we, we business savvy in... people can can it, it, sure, if we'd have put an idea forward, surely we could have given it a bit more weight than these guys Chinch, did. It, Chinch, it was just most, incredible. The most damning thing you can, the way you can put it, that's the most damning, is that you put more research into these podcasts 
than these people have put into the thing that would change football. That tells you how bad they've been. They should be ashamed of themselves. But to to not have a a PR strategy, when you think about the amount, uh, if it is a war, or whether you declare it on the one show or not, whether it's going to be a war that you wage against football kind of structures and traditions that are in place, the status quo, then surely in this day and age, particularly given the the, the people that they are and the experience that they have in, in, in modern industries, that they did not have a PR strategy at any point either at launch or to defend it in its in its opening opening days knowing the criticism that they would get because they knew they knew it was people so they didn't get it before well so they had P- they had PR people set up in five different countries it was in a company called in-house who did it in Britain and that's that's fine you've got you I think they and then they presume they had them in Germany France Spain and Italy I would guess that was that was how that worked and you think okay Maybe you think that the statement and the website, the Squarespace website that you launch on Sunday night is enough. When you when you wake up on Monday morning and you see that, that you know, Alexander Seferin is calling you snakes and liars. When you when you see that the Premier League are talking about throwing you out and Boris Johnson's involved, admittedly for, you know, pop, easy populist points, but still, you know, governments are involved. Macron's condemned it. Surely at that point, the fans are starting to mobilise. Surely at that point, the job of your PR people is to say to you, we need to shape this conversation in some way. Like this is a really cynical way of looking at it, but but everyone's against us. The only way we can hope to get this through is by coming up with some sort of strategy whereby the, we can change the conversation. We can inject doubt into into the the way that the, the kind of the narrative is developing, the discourse is developing. And to be honest, in 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 this case, that's quite easy. This is the, again. This is the, the thing that makes me feel. It, it definitely wasn't brinkmanship, but there is enough there that that's, that's bizarre about it that makes you feel like how serious, like how committed to this were they? Because if you present this as a as a taking back of control, that slogan is very popular. People like that idea. It works. You say that this is the club's taking control of the game. That they are the you know we are the heart and soul of football. Our links to our local communities our bond with our fans around the world. This is what drives football. This is what makes football great. We want to take control. We want to wrest it away from these bloated and inefficient institutions, UEFA and FIFA. People have no natural sympathy with UEFA and FIFA. I was trying to think yesterday. UEFA basically aren't that bad. Like the things that have that have happened at UEFA that are bad aren't they're not like FIFA bad. They're they're a bit you know, they're a little bit they're kind of low level corrupt and they're you know, they're a bit self serving and they're not great, but they're not they're not that bad. But no one has any affection for UEFA. No one likes UEFA. To an extent, people don't really like the Premier League. A lot of the stuff about the Premier League, there's a lot of people we, we enjoy the competition, but people don't necessarily like the institution of the Premier League. You you have kind of easy enemies here. You can say this is a way of getting getting back, getting our football back, put placing the power in the hands of the clubs that you know the Leeds have done this and the UEFA have done this. We want we want to drive the game forward. You make it clear that you're not. I did the radio with with Micah on Monday night, and and Micah said, you know, at the start there was this kind of feeling that it meant they were leaving the Premier League. Now I don't think officially that anything like that ever came out. There was no there was no intention. I think without question there was a there was a scenario in which if this had played out to, to, to its full extent they would have had to leave the Premier League without without a shadow of a doubt. And I wonder whether in the fullness of time that might have been their ultimate aim, but. 
you make it clear that you want to stay with, within your national leads and you make it clear that you want some of the money that you will make from the Super League to flow downwards into your national leads. You want to, to strengthen the competition beneath you. You come up with a plan to say this is how five teams will qualify. I saw on, it's worth digging out, a guy called Henry Bushnell who I've not heard of before but he, he wrote a piece on Yahoo Sports that, that was like an alternative proposal for the Super League. And to be honest, something like that, has, it has quite a lot of merit. The idea of, put, of placing a pan-continental league on top of the national leagues is not in itself a dreadful thought. But they hadn't done any of this. They didn't make any attempt to, to win anyone over. They didn't make any attempt to, to put their side of the story. And I, I genuinely don't understand what they were doing. Because they can't, they can't have been surprised. They cannot have been surprised by... Certainly the authorities coming out against them. Certainly the other clubs coming out against them. And to an extent, the fans being up in arms. That cannot have surprised them. And if it did, then it, it makes you wonder why we let the billionaire class in general dominate so much. Because they're clearly not quite as bright as we think they are. And it's not just that this has been a spectacular failure, but how badly it could now backfire for them. What are the consequences going to be? Because in, in the space of 48 hours, it's gone from clubs reputations being tarnished to these individual owners reputations and their credibility has just gone out of the window completely to see how quickly they have folded on something that as Rory has said supposedly they'd been working on for months and contemplating for years to allow that to just evaporate in the space of two days Marcelo Bielsa's reign at Lazio was longer than the Super League last <laughs> that they are now in a position where it, it, it's gone away there's no chance in the short term of this being resurrected yeah, or it. even mm. an alternative watered down version they've lost all of their bargaining status and their, their position at the, at the top table in terms of trying to agitate for for more money for a greater share of places within the Champions League or whatever European competition would have looked like whatever the compromise might have been if this was brinkmanship then fine but they've not even allowed them they've not even stuck at it long enough to to try and give them a a stronger bargaining position mm. in terms of Champions League reform to meet in the middle in fact if anything now might be the time for the smaller clubs, the smaller nations within Europe, fans groups to mobilise and put the handbrake on the the changes that have been have been muted for the Champions League and for one or two countries to say, hang on, maybe it isn't quite right that Serie A and the Premier League and La Liga and the Bundesliga all get four guaranteed places in the Champions League group stage. Perhaps we can row back on that a little bit. I mean, the, the consequences could be huge and could be damaging and you do wonder whether or not you'll even see a situation where where because it is so far out of reach now they've they've shown their cards they've demonstrated to us what the end game was as far as they were concerned mm. where they saw their investment in these institutions taking them and now that that must be so far, as far out of reach as it has ever been you wonder whether the 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 tenures of some of these owners will come to an end because yeah, they, yeah. They, 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 their investment is not going to reap the dividends that they had anticipated and probably what they had suggested to some of their investors that it was going to do. 
each of the each, each of the circumstances is different. Each of the the sets of ownerships are in different situations. I think some of them have more deniability than others. We've seen we saw pretty much straight away that City and Chelsea are trying to spin that they were they were bullied into it, which is yep. in itself remarkably pathetic. That Ro- I mean Roman Abramovich being bullied. The nation state of Abu Dhabi being bullied is um, come on, guys, don't be. This is what they, they they were mean girled into it because yeah. of FOMO, basically. Is, come on, is, don't. Is don't I mean yeah. th- that 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 narrative will be swallowed. That the fans that fans of those clubs will, and it's not their fault, will will take some comfort in that. But it is let's let's not beat around the bush. It's pathetic. But that it's is also a, at least approach. at least it's a PR strategy though. Do you see yeah, what exactly. I mean? Yeah, 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 it's, yeah. It's, it's creating a narrative that allows you to reconnect with those people who you for forty eight hours had seemingly lost. But it's it's a strategy in, in reaction to what's yeah. happened. There's no planning. There's no planning there to thinking, well if if there is going to be a backlash about this, how do we handle it? How do we spin this? There was none of that. It's just a reaction to how everyone's no. actually reacted. And actually this isn't a group of people who get a huge amount of credit, certainly amongst journalists and probably amongst fans. But I think What the four of us? Well well, no, we don't need enough credit for anything. But if you um <laughs> as far as I know, this was very much an ownership thing on every level. I don't think at at say Liverpool or Man City or Chelsea or Arsenal, I suppose, the 12 of them. I won't list them all. But the, I don't think, like, the, I think the, the chief execs knew maybe the own, certain people amongst the ownerships knew. I, I mean, whether Shape Man saw knew, I don't know. I don't know how much Shape Man saw actually kind of keeps tabs on what's going on. You, Ferran Soriano will have known. You presume Caldoun will have been told at City. Obviously, John Henry knew at Liverpool. Maybe Billy Holden, the CEO, did. I don't know. But I don't think, I think there's a lot of, I don't think it's likely that, like, the comms teams at the clubs knew. I don't. Th- I think they were caught by surprise as well. That's what surprised me. You know, hearing coaches say, "We don't really know what's going on," and players saying, "And I was thinking, how can you not know?" But it seemingly they didn't yeah, really I know because the CEOs didn't know what was going on. I, I don't think you know. I think in a lot of cases, the kind of the people managers are essentially kind of mid-ranking employees of these businesses. There will be one or two levels above them who didn't know what was happening. And it's interesting that the comms teams, certainly at City and Chelsea, when they get involved, when they got involved from Monday, as you said. They, they, they came up with a strategy. It was by definition reactive, so they hadn't been involved. But they came up with a strategy that's kind of worked, that's kind of said, look, we, this, was not, this wasn't us, this wasn't our idea. We've gone along with it, sorry, but it wasn't our idea. We felt we had to. And that's given them something to go on with. The, the broader comm strategy, as I say, the, the PR people that were hired, just doesn't appear to have existed. And that is, that is astonishing. The, but on the ownership groups, so I think, I think with like City and Chelsea, you, you can probably assume that the fans will look at it and say the people who signed up to this have made a mistake without a shadow of a doubt but what they have done for our club elsewhere we're prepared to forgive them um real madrid is a is a fiefdom of florentino perez now he'll get away with it there's no one there's no way of kind of reigning in florentino perez i think atletico to an extent like i think atletico will basically spin it as we just need the money look we just we don't have any money we need the money barcelona i think laporta will be able to to present it as Bartomeu's idea and look, we never signed up for it because we, we would have had to get it past the fans. So we, we, we went along with it in principle, but we never actually did anything. Bartomeu had signed us up, up for it. We couldn't do anything. In, uh, Inter have got bigger problems because the Chinese ownership there is is on the brink. So they could maybe take, they could maybe plead poverty as well. AC Milan, I don't think Elliot care. They're not interested. They, they just won't make any difference to them. They're totally out of reach. Um, Juventus appears to be sticking with it. Like Agnelli seems to be like, yeah, well, this was a good idea. I don't know what you are talking about. Um, the ones that are, are really interesting are Arsenal, Spurs, United, and Liverpool, 
because Kroenke has no interest whatsoever in Arsenal. And as Chinch says, you wonder whether this is the point at which he says, all right, do you know what? This investment can't do what I want it to do, so I might get out. Um, I'm sure the fans will hope for that. Joe Lewis and Daniel Levy at Spurs. Hard to say. Spurs would They'd sell Spurs if they could. If someone came along with an offer that they liked, they'd sell Spurs, I'm sure of that. Um, the Glazers... I think maybe falling into the Tronky camp. If this is, if this is, they might look at it and think, look, we can't do what we want. Joel Glazer was one of the big driving forces behind this. We can't make this thing do what we want. I'm sure you'd find a buyer for Manchester United, FSG at Liverpool, who who have this weird contrast. As I think in a day to day sense, they're quite good owners of Liverpool. In a footballing, as a as a fan, I think you probably look at it and think they do things basically right on a, in terms of how they run the club, the footballing decisions they've made. They've got a, they've got an approach in place. It kind of works. But just like once a year, they do something incredibly mm. stupid in a blue sky sense. Whether it's trying to trademark the word Liverpool, whether it's you know ticket yeah. prices, project big picture, there's half the a dozen furloughing of staff, the furloughing of staff, oh, that furloughing, furloughing, the 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 you know they're a business, they're entitled to apply for that scheme. The, it's bad optics. It's not. Yeah, yeah. That, the, that's the, that's a slightly different thing. The furloughing. But doing, but doing stupid things can be optically stupid. Yeah, of course. Yeah, but be... they do. They do have now a track record of when they try to to be clever, of getting it incredibly badly wrong. And I, I think them more than anybody else, you wonder whether they might look at it and think, right, do you know what? This asset can't be sweated or milked or whatever you want to call it. Or, grown. you know grown <laughs> any further if there is an offer to sell we will sell yeah. and th- yeah i think so i think the consequences for each of the clubs is probably are probably a little bit different yeah. i mean the, liverpool are the interesting one because at the time of recording john henry has put out that video statement apologizing the mere culpa uh, type piece which you know is is the least that the owners should be doing and he deserves some credit for for fronting up and and speaking directly to supporters in that way, but it, uh, the reaction to it does seem to have been, well, look, in general terms, you've been seen as good owners and we've been willing to forgive one or two of those things that Rory has just mentioned, but how many times are you going to make a mistake and then come out afterwards and hold your hands up and say, we're sorry, we'll learn from this, we'll listen to the fans next time, we'll consult the fans next time. If the, if the opinion of the supporters your most important stakeholders is so valuable to you, why was it not sought before rather than after the fact? And suddenly this sheen of being astute and and driven businessman who's, you see how it has made them successful and you hope that they can make your club successful as a consequence. An awful lot of that has gone out the window on, on the back of this and, and, and they've done... Yeah, very quickly have gone from doing what's looked like untold damage to the clubs to potentially, you know, more more damage to their own reputations, and and perhaps a reputation that is that is based on those people around them. I, I know billionaires are never just billionaires; they are billionaires plus the trappings, and the trappings are often staff, people who guide them. And and that will what was what was particularly interesting about that period when there was no internal club communication strategy to speak of and it was only you know only for the first 24 hours or so because this whole thing was so short but I was fascinated one thing that's been robbed of us is the, is the ongoing conflict between a communication strategy and a 
club which had to reflect the owners who pay their wages, but also had to reflect clearly what was a groundswell of opinion from within the club, everybody apart from the owners, the institution and those people who work for that institution, institution even though the owners pay their wages, of how they would have tried to manage that conflict. How long could they keep the players and the coaches from saying what they wanted to say or speaking more overtly about their opposition uh, to this? So what, what I'm, I'm, Jurgen Klopp spoke to to Stephen on, on Monday night and that was part of the interviews that he did and Stephen did a very good job of, of navigating that as did Jurgen Klopp, as did James Milner and there is, there is an ongoing story that, that, would, that, that would have played out that we don't get to see which is yeah. kind of been resolved but Pep Guardiola was an important person in that yesterday when he was clearly advised to or allowed to um, as per a strategy or a strategic uh, way forward to to say what he wanted to say, and he frankly just read Rory's piece from the New York Times out loud to the that, gathered that, press. That, that was slightly so. There were two things that happened. One was that Pep appeared to be directly quoting my Twitter feed, and the other was that which I'm, he had to his to to his right hand side on the table. I would imagine. I'm pretty sure that that UEFA lifted one paragraph of mine for their statement, and I don't. I, despite rumours and kind of my general reputation, not actually that keen on blowing my own trumpet. But occasionally, I think it's important to let you know that at least I've got one. But it, it, what what Pep said was basically my tweet. Yes, it was, and you've got you've got one trumpet. Steve and I have multiple, so but, let's not go blowing our own. Trumpets. Are you are you the new Pedro Pinto, Rory? Are you transitioning? <laughs> Pedro from, Pinto. Are you I love transitioning Pedro Pinto. from journalism to the House of UEFA? The the um, the, <laughs> the interesting thing is that that when I tweeted it. A lot of people said, oh, so what? The NFL isn't sport anymore. You're stupid. And when Pep said it, everyone went, oh, that's a great point, Pep. Well done. <laughs> right, you're clever. That's the other thing, for you, Rory. Yes, exactly. The other thing you might be popular, um, but you're not Pep popular. Uh, yeah. The other thing our listeners have been robbed of is the fact that I, I was going to rant about the comparisons with the American model, which were, were completely inaccurate. But thankfully, we don't have to do that. And I'm coming to you, Chinch, even though you have just been delivered a plate of... Um, uh, scrambled eggs by your dear wife, which is an extraordinary mm-hmm. talk about billionaires and the people around them. Mm. She lives like one. But the, yeah. the, the, this is scrambled eggs Woodford, by the way. It's got <laughs> its own. It's amazing. But the, the the point that I was coming on to make was about the players. The players did speak out yesterday. Um, there was a kind of a drip drip effect. Marcus Rashford, Kevin De Bruyne did something, and then eventually Jordan Henderson after the meeting of the Premier League captains. They obviously had license to be able to do that. Was that because they wanted to speak out and get something done? Or was that... I think he's frozen. He might just be burping. Yeah. <laughs> he's he's realised that scrambled eggs Woodford is actually just scrambled eggs, which Nicky has spilled outside onto the pavement <laughs> and then scraped up again to give it that Woodford taste. How how could he freeze just because he's eating? <laughs> there, there, is, there is... The thing about the, the position in which he's frozen is that that is very much pre-fart isn't it that's what <laughs> yes. he's he's su- he's suppressing an evacuation oh. from one end of <laughs> the other is, yeah hello chinch hi hello right so um i was asking you this question mm. do, you, do you think the players did that because they had been given license to or because they realized that the end was nigh and so it was a, a kind of a freer <clears throat> context in which they could produce those messages particularly the the, the jordan henderson one yeah they were caught a little bit in no man's land when the uh, announcement was made. I think everybody was, and I, I generally thought, well, they must have known something was going on. It's pretty clear they didn't. They didn't really know what to say because if their clubs were going to be making this move, I'm sure they didn't want to jump in and say this is absolutely terrible because they're employees of those clubs. So I think they were 
clearly not happy with it, but didn't feel they could say anything about it. And surely they must have seen how the flow of this situation was going. And I think Ander Herrera is one of the first players to come I out think... and say something, wasn't he? So I think that had a, maybe an influence as well. I think Guardiola's comments certainly did. If that was going to carry any more weight than, than how unhappy everybody has been around the game, I, I do feel those individuals did have a, a, maybe hopefully had a part to play in people seeing sense or realising they couldn't push this through. But the players were, and then they probably worried about their international futures, that they were not going to massively get, maybe financially they would have done, but maybe they all realised very quickly how it was going to affect them as well. But they were caught because they're employees of these clubs. So I understand they didn't want to go jumping in. But Milner, I think, handled it really well as well. And um, you could see Jurgen Klopp in that game, the interviews before the um, the Leeds game, he wasn't really sure how to approach it. Mm. Um, but I think ultimately we've, yeah, with these high-profile players now saying what they feel, and it is right, everybody's singing from the same page, aren't they? I think Herrera was really important because... It, that was the first one. That was that was the one that opened the floodgates. I think someone had to go first, and it probably had to be a player who wasn't from one of the, the clubs. And then after Herrera, you had like Danny Alves came out and said something. There were quotes from players in Germany, and then I think the other thing that was probably significant was was Milner. That as soon as Milner said just that very simple line, yeah. "I don't like it, and I hope it doesn't happen," I think that opened that gave everyone permission. It was interesting not not to take any credit away from De Bruyne or Guardiola or the rest of Liverpool squad or whoever or Rashford, there'd been little bits before that. I think Bruno Fernandes had kind of put something on Instagram that suggested he was he was anti. But it was when a player from a club that was involved, albeit a player who probably would never play in the Super League, because James Milner is 104, the, as soon as he came out and said that, I think that made them think, OK, do you know what? If Milner's done it, let's do it. And it was interesting, the next day, Guardiola, Chinch is right, Klopp seemed a bit confused about how to how to handle it. And it, to an extent, Klopp was a little bit unlucky that he was the first manager to yeah. have it to, to face the cameras. But after it had broken, but the as well, soon uh, as uh, Solskjaer, Solskjaer was, but but that yeah. was that was just in the aftermath, and that was he he was able to deflect it a little bit more because by saying I don't so, know, yeah, yeah I don't know anything so about it, and I've been focusing on preparing the game. But Klopp Klopp was clearly confused as Chin said about how to play it, and I think but I think once Milner had said that once there'd been two or three then everybody else felt empowered to say, all right, do you know what, we, we can make a stand now as well. Well, having spoken to, to Jurgen Klopp and James Milder on Monday night, I, th I think they had given a great deal of thought in the day about how they were going to deal with the situation. And James Milner was an obvious candidate for a post-match post interview on the basis simply of returning to play at Leeds for the first time in mm. 87 years, I think it was, since his last game at <laughs> And and they had clearly been stirred further by the anger of the Leeds fans that had been directed towards them on their arrival at Ellen Road. Mm. The fact that somewhat mischievously those T-shirts that the Leeds players were warming up in had been left also in the Liverpool dressing room should they desire to have worn them themselves. And that antagonised a little bit. I think Jurgen Klopp's outward impression of confusion was actually just him trying to navigate and plot a course through what he was saying that did not do anything to damage his standing with his employers, but that also to get across the message that he was unhappy about it and felt it was the wrong way to go. I thought he spoke very well and was in incredibly patient, bearing in mind he was, I think I was the fifth person to interview him that night, asking some of the very same questions that he'd already had to field 
and trying to think of a slightly different way to get into mm. it with him as a consequence. Um, he was clearly frustrated and angry about the situation. He was dismayed at having to be the one to front up about it. And, and, and I, th- I think he, Milner, Liverpool's comms team on the night all, all dealt with the situation remarkably well. And yeah, James Milner in particular, that, that line, I don't like it, I hope it doesn't happen, was clearly predetermined. It was the first thing he said on the matter in both of the interviews he did, the, the one with Sky, the one with me. And that opened up the opportunity for follow-up questions uh, and into which he eloquently spoke about how well the current system has worked for long enough to to warrant further merit. Hmm. Uh, let's finish our conversation with with, with looking forward. Um, I, I mentioned at the beginning that being against the Super League does not make you a fan of the status quo. Um, so that might be something that we discuss more in the future. But what about possible penalties that these clubs might face? Will they be welcomed back? And should the makeup of the club's ownership structure change because they want to go? Will there be more push for fan-owned clubs? And how much genuine likelihood is there of that given the, the need for gargantuan wealth to be able to compete with others who might not go that way so we'll start with possible penalties and being welcomed back into the fold to potentially play in an expanded Champions League which is what they were pushing for the whole time anyway well, what I'd quite like to happen is that UEFA to, to set, come out and say actually do you know what we're not we're not going to change the Champions League now we don't need to we don't. Yeah. it's complicated because there are other clubs outside the 12 who wanted these changes not least Ajax who, who are very much on board with it um, and to an extent, it's been presented as, as the kind of the IAC's idea within within the negotiations <clears throat> to, to help it have legitimacy as well. Yeah, but I mean, it's just, not a big six or a big twelve plan. Yeah, and look, nobody loves IAC more than me. But just as it's an IAC idea, doesn't mean it's a good one. You know, IACs also have bad ideas. The problem is that football football's very elastic. Its morality is extremely extremely elastic. Uh, it moves so quickly. It you know it already feels like a lifetime ago that this whole thing started. But do you know that Jose Mourinho has been sacked? <laughs> yes. The, sure, we'd love to spend cares? lots of time talking about Ryan Mason, who, of course, is not Chinch's biggest fan. But... The um, No, of course, but now in a major position of power. Bad news for Chinch. Or Patrick the... Bamford. I got to speak to him on Monday night as well, Chinch. He, he, he fired a couple of shots across your bow. Did he? He didn't fire the ball into the back of the Liverpool net, did he? <laughs> <laughs> what is the last word? The, so I don't know. <laughs> Take that, Bamford. I, I I don't think there will be any punishment. I don't really, to be honest, I don't really see what they can punish them no. for. They could maybe sanction them. They could, you know, issue a kind of stern warning or something. They still need them, though, don't they? They still they need them. They but still there's, there's need also, them. There's always, there's always a shot to nothing. That's yeah. the, they always knew that at the very very end of it. If it's it like Brad Pitt with a dirty shirt on. You'd still take him because he's still good value on screen, isn't he? Exactly. They're not pristine. They're not clean anymore. They're very dirty clubs, but they're still. High value clubs aren't they? But but also what what are you putting? I mean I think there is a rule in the Premier League statutes about signing up for un- unsanctioned competitions, but yeah, I don't yeah. think there is. I don't think there's a specified punishment for that. And I'm sure also that the you know the the I think community service you know picking up litter on the side of the M62, get Agnelli and and Perez. That that would that would teach him a lesson in life, wouldn't it? Well, I mean, you, don't find them and take points off them. Make I them think, pick up litter on a motorway, a major I, thoroughfare. Even <laughs> even when Gary Neville said it. On Sunday, and I got a little bit of stick for this, but I don't really understand understand the logic of taking points off them, even when it was going ahead. Like the, the whole point of the lead was that they didn't care about having points in the Premier League anymore. So you know, what? What you're going to just give them fewer of something they don't care about at it, all? It, give them re- none. It's a reflexive 
yeah, it's do something. Yeah, exactly. But I, I think in, real, in reality, there's not a vast amount they can do. They could maybe fine them, I suppose, or withhold some of the TV money. There's maybe some sort of financial penalty. I think the bigger penalty is that they have now lost all of their clout. And that's, this, yeah, that is this, exactly it, yeah. This is the chance for football to just roll back on some of the changes. It's here, actually, that, again, this, this isn't a particularly, particularly popular statement. I think the utopianism of... of you know, clubs should be fan-owned and, you know, we should do this and that and the other and let's have a greater spread of wealth. All of those things are right, but they're not going to happen. That's not how the world works. There's no re realistic mechanism to make that happen, certainly not in the short term. You can't renegotiate how money is spread around Europe. It's not going to work. I'd love to see UEFA just, as I say, pull, pull yeah. the changes to the Champions League and say, right, we're going back to where we were. Yeah. Or we're going to have another consultation period now that the, the, there is not this threat. I don't think any of that's particularly realistic, unfortunately, unless the fans can retain. It's difficult. Just, it's really, it's really comforting to think, oh, this is a, this is a great victory for fans. It might be, but it also might be a bit of a victory for Boris Johnson and the political class who got involved. And it might be that the political condemnation is what swung it, but or it might be a victory for FIFA, and that's potentially even worse. Well, do you know, one of the worst things about it, Rory, wasn't that the owners weren't speaking, but that it gave politicians an opportunity to talk yeah, about yeah, football, yeah. which is always incredibly tedious and cringeworthy, and you want to go away as quickly as possible. But if, if the fans can maintain the, the mobilisation, the, the level of energy, the determination, there is a chance that you could win some changes back. Because as, as we say, there is no threat anymore. This is done. There's, there's, there's this kind of this like smart take is that this will come back I, I genuinely to be honest I don't see how it does because I think they've seen now that, yeah. that it's not possible and that's that's their punishment that this is gone this has disappeared over the horizon for some time now it, it can't be reeled back in and and that they might still have a loud voice but it's not the loudest voice and it's certainly not resonating as much and it won't resonate as much as it would do under normal circumstances, it's not that long ago we were talking about this thing where the the the, the long the more most established Premier League clubs wanted a greater share of the voting rights on Premier League matters, didn't they, than those that mm. were a little bit more transient? And yet here we are, just a matter of weeks, months later, that the, a lot of the clubs that were calling for that had one foot out the door on the other side. So those are the kind of things that's going. They're not going. They're not going to be able to force their will upon people or upon other footballing institutions in the way that they, they previously would have done. And that probably is going to be the, the worst of their punishments. And it's, and it's a bit of a shame as well that potentially any, any attempts to modernise football and the, the structures, again, because not saying with any of this that the status quo is perfect, but any attempts to do that might be tarnished with a big fat, oh, it's another Super League brush. And that might be a hindrance to progress. The, the, there is a danger that this is A, taken as a as a tacit endorsement of the way things are. The way things are doesn't work. It just doesn't work. And it, to be fair, it doesn't work for the big clubs and it doesn't work for the small clubs. There, there, there is a structural problem within football that needs to change. This might be seen as a, this will certainly be taken by UEFA and FIFA as a victory for them. I think the other thing is that there is a risk, as you say, that it it conditions football against change, and that, that there is this. Just fo football fans are inherently conservative, small c conservative. They like things the way they are. We feel that the game belongs to us individually, and that means that maybe when other changes come along, we wouldn't we wouldn't necessarily welcome them. And this isn't meant to be kind of pompous, but there is a possibility that that the, the role of 
this is maybe a different podcast, but the, the role of fans in encouraging this endless growth, because it means more star signings, more, you know, better teams, all this stuff, because fans demand managers are sacked if they're not winning trophies every year now. That is kind of part of the problem in the ecosystem, and that has to change a little bit as well. And I, I worry that, you know, come the summer, you know, Real Madrid will make a big star signing, Man, Man City will make a big star signing, someone will sign Erling Haaland, and the, the owners will be good again. And I'm not sure that's the way we should we should react to this. Uh, I mentioned at the beginning that we didn't have uh, any space for the emails because essentially they were null and void after what happened uh, on Tuesday evening. Um, but I will include just this tiny little bit from Alan Shepard, not the astronaut, who uh, you may all remember is a classicist, so immediately one of Rory's favourite people. And uh, he mentioned that the Super League had even infested the very dark and back waters of Classics Twitter, which apparently is a thing. Uh, and he uh, sent us this tweet, which is breaking. 12 cities, Alexandria, Antioch, Ephesus, Smyrna, Nicomedia, Athens, Corinth, Carthage, Syracuse, Lugdunum, Cordoba and Gades have left the Roman Empire to form their own Mediterranean <laughs> Super League. Officials in Rome are most displeased and threaten sanctions. Uh, so thank you, for Alan. You got something in. Um, it is now time for Nevermind Jack and Ori. What a soccer story. This is an Andy Tells tale from his playing or broadcasting days with all adult behaviour and libel where the details are moved. And Chinch... We've got a listener soccer story today, but you're going to preview what you're doing next week. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that our listeners will invest in future soccer stories by not having a personal soccer story today. I'm, I'm thinking of running like a little a, a theme in terms of not, not my soccer stories, but other people's stories of, of meeting me, the legend, for the first time. <laughs> so I'm going to again go through my Rolodex, go through my phone contact list and say to people, can we just have a little conversation? You can tell me about how starstruck you were and how amazing it was to meet me for the first time in your own way. We're going to start with my gorgeous wife, Nicola. She has agreed to sit down at a future date for a small fee and tell me about the day we met, the evening we met in a wine bar. Um, so if you've met Chinch and don't have his phone number, setpiecemenu at gmail.com. This comes from Gary Farr, who you will remember was our professional trumpeter who took uh, me to task about the exact rhythmic uh, notification of the <laughs> EastEnders drums. Here we go from Gary Farr. Back in 2008, I was lucky enough to be part of a tour of South America with the Halle Orchestra, which, if you don't know, is an orchestra based in Manchester. We were around halfway through the trip and on a flight from Rio de Janeiro to Santiago in Chile, we, uh, where we would play our next concert. Upon disembarking the plane, where a few drinks had been taken, I spotted that a friend of mine had used up his last reals, which you'll note is a South American currency. Duty-free, reage, in duty-free, in duty-free, on a miniature football in the national colours of Brazil, and was carrying it under his arm. Intoxicated by the moment, I seized that moment and knocked the ball free, whereby I proceeded to attempt my best reenactment of the 1998 Nike Sao, and again, not exact pronunciation, I apologise for my Portuguese, advert, dribbling along the airport jetway, fainting my way around cellists and violinists while singing a no-doubt dodgy rendition of the ubiquitous I was riding high on the moment and spurred on by the chuckles from my colleagues. I rounded a corner only to be confronted by the actual Brazilian football national team. <laughs> Maldinho, Roberto Carlos, Rivaldo, et al. It turned out they had been on the same flight, only first class, of course, so he had no idea. And they were due to play Chile the next day in a World Cup qualifier. After I got over the embarrassment, we set about making plans for our free evening in Santiago. I managed to get hold of some tickets where we saw Brazil beat the host 3-0 in a fantastic atmospheric game and the highlight of a pretty incredible couple of days. Gary, thank you so much. Any soccer stories that you may well have to setpiecemenu at gmail.com. Please subscribe, share, rate and review as we humbly ask
Gaskey to continue to find room for us in your podcast schedule. Thank you to Stephen, Rory, and Andy, and to you all for listening. We'll be back with another set piece many of you to enjoy very soon indeed. The Halle you're going to be in touch with us immediately, uh, Hugh, to see whether they can borrow the tagline from the start of that story. The Halle. An orchestra based in Manchester. <laughs> I mean, that's that's the re- that's the punch that's the punchline that they were looking for to sell. You know, once things reopen, really sold it, really sold and they it. want to get the tickets sold, we're an orchestra based in Manchester. <laughs> that would be an excellent little subheading on any promotional material for the Halle, who are indeed an orchestra based in Manchester. Uh, so, thank you to Gary. There are many soccer stories to come. Indeed. Even if you've met Chinch and you want to spout about it. That, that's it. I think we should open people? this up. Yeah, Let, let's open this up because I must have met a few people in my time. But the yeah. thing is, I, I, I remember, think I have. I remember when we met Chinch and it, it was yeah. on some seismic, deep, seismic, deep, seated, it? fundamentally level, completely unremarkable. <laughs> really? I, yeah. I, I don't remember meeting you. It was a... It was... <laughs> These stories are going to be amazing. I I just... what, yeah, what you might want to do, Chinch, is not, not, don't get the story about when they first met you. Get yeah. the story about when, after they'd subsequently gone home, Googled you, found out a little bit about you, and kind of put the pieces together and thought, yeah, <laughs> it. he was all right. It did okay, I guess. Well, that's what Nikki did. She clearly went home, Googled me, and then couldn't wait to get a ring on my finger.